News Podcast listeners, I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslu. Today is Monday, December 21st, and joining me in the NK News studio with masks on are Chad O'Carroll, Min Chao Choi, Colin Zwitko to talk about DPRK China relations. This podcast is hosted, of course, by NK News, your specialist source for trusted information on North Korea. Get behind the headlines at nknews.org. For even deeper analysis and cutting-edge data on the DPRK, check out NK Pro the comprehensive platform for professionals monitoring the Korean Peninsula. Contact us at membership at nknews.org for a free trial of NK Pro. And indeed, today's podcast is in fact sparked by a series of three reports that will be coming soon on NK Pro that my guests today have put together. Chad O'Carroll put together part one that explores the statements, rhetoric and pledges in action between the DPRK and the People's Republic of China. Min Chao looked at what customs and shipping data do and don't say about the economic relations between the two countries. And finally, Colin has gone uh, and done a satellite imagery overview of the growing range of port facilities that exist between the two countries and lots more besides. Thanks for coming on the show, all of you. Good morning. Thank morning. you. Thanks. First of all, a bit of background. Ever since China entered the Korean War on the side of North Korea, relations between the two have waxed and waned. When were they at their lowest recent ebb and where are relations now? Yeah, so back in 2017, during that year of North Korean missile tests, um, some of you will probably remember that North Korea actually timed some of its most provocative missile tests that year. Um, we don't know if this was intentionally, but they did coincide with very important political events in China. Uh, so, for example, you had a nuclear test while the BRICS summit was ongoing in Xiamen. Uh, and there was a major ballistic missile test uh, just before she delivered a big speech at the inaugural Belt and Road Forum speech in Beijing of that year. You know, China was getting a bit miffed. I remember flying back from Beijing just after the um, the Belt and Road speech. And uh, I, I remember all international media was talking about this North Korean missile launch. There was nothing in Chinese newspapers about it at the time. And so I think that that year was particularly bad. We saw as a result of that Chinese state media calling out North Korea. We, we saw North Korean state media, these columns being published um, in the names of um, unaffiliated North Korean individuals um, who were particularly angry about Chinese support for new sanctions and uh, condemnation of, of Pyongyang. So that was a pretty bad year as far as um, sorry PRC-DPRK relations go. Okay, so 2017 was a, a very bad year, as they say. Uh, now, that was yeah a very low ebb, and we've gone from there to, um, what, only a short time later, it seems, that uh, uh, Xi Jinping was given his own space on page one of the Rodong Shinwen, wasn't he? Yeah, if you fast forward to June 2019, when Xi Jinping went to Pyongyang for the first state-level visit, as they described it in North Korean state media, uh, we saw Xi Jinping very unusually being accorded a front page corner of the Rodong Shinmen for an editorial. And that was, you know, just two years prior, that relationship was in a really bad way. And I mean, even if you zoom back to 2017, uh, by September of that year, there were, you know, there was friction very visibly evident in North Korean state media with China. And yet six months later, Kim Jong-un was there shaking Xi Jinping's hand in um, Beijing in early 2018. So huge, huge change, transformation in that relationship. 
And, um, you know, we, we think it's really important because, especially in the wake of the Hanoi summit, mm. um, it's just continued to thrive and it has a lot of implications for denuclearization policy and so on. Um, because if North Korea is not desperate for aid, for economic cooperation from the US, then it's unlikely to engage with uh, prompts for talks and so on. And also from South Korea. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we, we can go into that later. But the, the, the South Korea aspect, you know, South Korea was shunned, basically, mm. um, in 2019. It offered 50 million tons of rice aid. And uh, we have reason to believe that the Chinese were giving massive amounts of aid under the table that, you know, really cr removed any um, requirement on the North Korean side to accept that South Korean aid. So mm. it's, had, it's definitely had a lot of impacts throughout the, re the region, this particular relationship. And what's caused that turnaround? It's a good question. I mean, I think in the, in the early days, there's been five summit meetings so far. I think those first two or three were more exploratory um maybe especially the first one you know it was probably a, a strategic choice of kim jong-un to go to china first mm. before going anywhere else due to the long history of relations between the two countries but i think back in those days early 2018 it wasn't quite decided that things would play out like this i think north korea's preference would have been to balance china and the united states off and try and play them against each other um, but I think following the failure of the Hanoi summit, right. the North Koreans realized if they want to get anything soon, it's best to work and put all eggs in the Chinese basket. All eggs in the Chinese basket. Now, Chad, you argue in your forthcoming piece at NK Pro that the biggest area of consequence in the past 18 months relates to Kim Jong-un's reported interest in the Chinese economic model and Xi's pledge to help North Korea overcome its development problems. Now, this is big news because his father, uh, Kim Jong-il, famously traveled to China in the early 2000s and went and looked at... I think he went to Shenzhen and other places, but he wasn't particularly keen on modeling the North Korean economy after the Chinese example. What do you think has changed there? Well, I don't think necessarily anything has changed in terms of North Korea's interests. Uh, I don't think they're about to embrace the Chinese approach to the market or the economy. But I, I think that was just a polite statement provided by the North Koreans. It, you know, it wasn't reported in North Korean state media. It was oh. reported in Chinese state media. Um, but I think what that was really all about was um, a polite remark. And the, the, the important part was what she said in response, which was basically he'll do everything to support North Korean development. And that's where we are seeing um, things really articulate. The, you know, the, the two laid out seven focus areas for increasing collaboration those are education and youth culture and sports provinces tourism and people's everyday life um, but be through that we've we've seen all sorts of really interesting um, developments like a huge uptake uptick in 2019 of chinese delegations going to north korea um, there was eight 40 chinese delegations we counted going uh, to North Korea that year, 39 from North Korea to China. Uh, those are significantly up from mm. prior years. And there is an economic thread that sort of goes through all of this. You've seen very senior, you know, a lot of this is not headlines when um, these delegations were taking place. But when you look at the composition of the delegations, you see names like Zhong Shan, the Chinese Minister of Commerce, 
Wang Bingnan, the Chinese Vice Minister of Commerce, Ri Ryong Nam, who's a North Korean official long associated with external trade. You see Liaoning and Jilin provinces engaging in delegations with huge economic focuses to discuss increasing cooperation, tourism, etc. I think the biggest outcome of these meetings between Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un and, you know, Kim's appreciation of the Chinese economic model and she's um, pledged to fully support uh, the development of the DPRK. It's really um, that they're trying to increase economic cooperation and trade between the two countries in way areas that are not clearly sanctioned and then overlooking sanctions wherever possible. If China uh, helps North Korea with its development problems, as Xi Jinping promised, is that a win-win or does North Korea only stand to benefit from this? What, what's, uh, what's China's gain? I think China would like to have a weak state on its border to serve as a buffer zone against threats that it perceives from uh, the U.S. and its allies. There's saying that North Korea is a, has certain resources that it is rich in um, that would benefit China to have an unequal trade relationship. For example, resources for coal, seafood, and iron. So it's not just a win-win for North Korea to receive aid. It's also a benefit for China as well. Mm, okay. Now let's talk about some of the, uh, the major areas that uh, uh, NK Pro has classified the impacts of this developmental support. Uh, I want to start with tourism first. Before COVID hit, what were the numbers of tourists of Chinese tourists to North Korea like, and how did they compare to Western tourist numbers? Um, just to give you some context, firstly, mm. um, through the 2000s, 2010s, Western tourists um, stood between at the low end, say 4,000 per year, at the high end, maybe six, six, uh, six, five hundred per year, 6,500. Um, in contrast, Chinese tourism peaked to North Korea in around 2011, 2012, and the government stopped publishing, Chinese government stopped publishing data at that point. Huh. I think the last figure they published was 235,000 tourists in around 2011. But when um, you look at 2019, though there have been no official data points for net Chinese tourism, um, using our sources, anecdotal data and and, and so on, uh, we estimated uh, in 2019 that there would have been um, something between maybe three, four hundred thousand Chinese tourists going that year. But actually, in the process of researching this, I realized that's probably an underestimate because uh, there were two data points published in regional Chinese newspapers in mm. 2019 that showed that from Jilin alone, there were 282,000 Chinese tourists that crossed into North Korea uh, in 2019. So you know, that could mean uh, maybe half a million conservatively wow. looking at things. Um, so it, it was a one way that the Chinese um, managed to seriously prop up the North Korean economy. Now, if each visitor, if their travel, lodging, food, visas, gifts, let's say it averages to $500 per person, 500,000 visitors, that's $250 million of additional revenue that... Uh, some of which will go into the North Korean economy, not all of it, of mm. course. So yeah, that that was one thing we've seen. Do we have any indication of whether Chinese tourists spend more or less per day than Western tourists? Well, the the thing is, there are 
there is a, a large number of Chinese will just go on day trips or, right. you know, maybe spend one night. There's a Pyongyang uh, trip that people do, which tends to be three days, I believe. Mm. Um, it's a pretty formulaic itinerary, goes down to Kaesong, two nights. But what I've heard from tourist sources last year was that there were that you know chinese visitors were buying a lot of gifts to bring ah, back so yes. like ancient K- korean themed gifts and, yeah, yeah yeah all that kind of stuff like liquors deer cigarettes. and liquors um etc cigarettes yeah um so yeah i i estimated if you consider the fact some people are going in on these day trips some are going for multi-day trips but when you add up all of the the food, lodging, visas, etc., and the gifts. Probably $500 to me seems like a reasonable average amount that would be spent. And the big question I always wondered was, is the Chinese government subsidizing that? We have seen, for example, large groups in uh, Kaesong visiting the DMZ, yes. all wearing yellow caps from a single Chinese travel agency, and I remember at the time I zoomed in on the photo and I got my colleague to call up that travel agency yeah. because they didn't list North Korea tours anywhere on their website. And I was just puzzled. How have they managed to get all these people together? They weren't very revealing on the call, but a lot of the the Chinese visitors were older generations. Um, and there were some r- rumors in uh, third party media in 2019 that people were being provided a means to go or encouraged to go. Hmm. Um, now, why would the Chinese government do that? It's a way of financially supporting the North, oh, I okay. guess. Uh, because yeah. it's, it's you know, for, for 2018, 2019, there to be suddenly a huge Chinese interest in going to North Korea when it's been possible for the last couple decades yeah that can't be an accident right right uh, you know there's the uh, uh well recently disappeared uh youtube channel echo of truth that had videos in english and in russian are there similar channels for uh dprk videos in chinese to kind of put put forward positive images and maybe attract tourism it's kind of a strange thing because they're yeah they've rolled out all these uh you know so-called vlogs in English, mm. and they even have a person in speaking in Russian. Yeah. But they only tried out one of their personalities, one of their vlogger personalities who's posting videos from Pyongyang. Uh, they only tried out speaking Chinese for the first video, and it was like all dubbed over in Chinese, and huh. it seemed like maybe she wasn't comfortable enough speaking Chinese because all of her subsequent videos have uh, been in Korean with Chinese subtitles. But they're... Their presence on the Chinese social media sites like like Weibo are more popular than they are in the English sphere, even though they get more attention, obviously, in, in yes. English media. So they have hundreds of thousands of followers on the, on Weibo, and they're not actually deleting those accounts like they are deleting the Twitter and the right. YouTube. So quite a good, quite a big outreach operation. I just I don't understand why they don't have their personalities actually speaking Chinese on video. Are there uh, North Korean um, TikTokers, uh, uh, Douyiners? There's, oh, this is strange. There's some really interesting uh, TikTok accounts that you can find out there that are posting a lot of videos from inside North Korea. And it seems like maybe they're just Chinese tourists or people that are close to the border or like right. Chinese business people that go into North Korea. So you can find a lot of interesting content on there. But I personally haven't dug around a lot or found anyone like an actual North Korean person posting, you know, actual real personal vlogs and accounts 
I did see earlier this year some really well-produced Chinese sort of tourism videos uh, with English subtitles. So in Chinese, but with English subs, uh, sort of walking around Pyongyang and and hanging around with their guides and stuff. And they were quite well-made. Yeah, I think that's from a Chinese tourist company, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, What signs are there that North Korea and China were preparing to see even higher figures of Chinese tourism go to North Korea uh, before COVID hit, obviously? Uh, It depends. If you want to talk about infrastructure... There's quite a lot of activity, even I would say even after COVID hit, even this year and even in the last six months, there's a lot of signs that they're really preparing on the Chinese side and on the North Korean side. The big one, uh, the the bridge at the main trade artery, overland trade artery between. Is this the one we like to call the bridge to nowhere? Yeah. Uh And that's between uh, the Chinese city of Dandong and the North Korean city of Shineju. Okay. Now, is that not just for trade? Would that facilitate tourism as well? Sure. Yeah. It depends because... The train takes people, takes tourists. If they're not flying into Pyongyang, then they're taking the train from mm. Dandong or other parts of China that pass through Dandong. So I don't know how much the road would service like buses to get all the way down to Pyongyang. Probably not, but perhaps. Uh, but so that bridge is this giant bridge that China built in 2013 and it hasn't been used since. Uh, but they've started to pave it in the last... They actually started to build this road to actually connect the bridge to North Korean roads uh, in the last year. And they've been paving it little by little this year, even uh, with COVID. So it seems like the, it stalled for a while, but um, it actually has continued even in the last couple of months. So they're really getting that road ready. I think that's going to service more overland trade. And then there's another bridge that they actually built on the other end of the border on the eastern edge of the border that they just built between uh, two very small cities mm. or a small town on the north green side and a small city it's a uh, namyang and two men that's was built by a chinese company as well even under sanctions wow. is building a bridge technically in breach of sanctions uh it would be unless they had an explicit uh, exemption which we weren't right. able to they didn't tell us that they had it and the UN didn't respond to a question. Now, what about other more openly tourist infrastructure? What are we seeing at Wonsan Kalma and at Kumgangsan? Well, Wonsan Kalma is not open yet, and there's no there's no stated deadline anymore. It's just indefinitely delayed. Kumgang is in the news today. Chad was talking about this earlier. Yeah, so yesterday the North Koreans unexpectedly announced the DPRK premier had visited uh, Kumgangsan and basically was inspecting new like um, plans for mm. turning it into this international tourist resort. Timing of it is very odd. I mean, as, yeah, in the middle of winter. Yeah, as as Colin said, that you know, once and Kalma is not even finished yet. Um, it comes just a week after all this leaflet stuff has been signed off in South Korean law. Um, some people believe who I spoke to that this might be a North Korean effort to attract attention from South Korea, given the timing. It's obviously a, a resort that's deeply connected to South Korean tourism in North Korea. Um, frankly speaking, I find it very unlikely that you'd get large numbers of Chinese tourists going there, although Dr. Andre Lankov disagrees with me on that. Um, it's just so far from any port of entry in North Korea that Chinese would be flying into that um, there would be a lot of overland travel to get there, and it's at the right. End. Where would they have to fly to if they were? If, what's the, the well, fastest way cur- to get? Currently, the only scheduled route would be Pyongyang, and then a, oh. a four-hour drive to uh, Wonsan, and then like another four or five-hour drive south to 
Kumgang. Oh, that's a multi-day trip then. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, given that the longest Chinese tourist delegations tend to be two nights, yeah. I don't see that as being likely. Well, they would fly into Wonsan, wouldn't they? And then it, yeah, it, when, when when scheduled uh, flights start, you could fly into Wonsan and then just drive the four hours down. That's but, another weird thing we saw that they're they've been building up the Wonsan Kalma Airport recently. Uh, the tarmac just we don't know what they're going to use it for yet, but ah. it could be for more parking, more expecting more planes to come in that yeah. haven't even started to come in yet. And we should we should also remember that in January 2019 or no January 2020 this year yeah. before COVID hit. Uh, there was really uh, one really big sign that this trend was going to continue because Qingdao Airlines, a Chinese regional airline, announced a plan that it was going to start doing a three times weekly service to Pyongyang, huh. uh, which would have been the first private airline to fly regularly on a scheduled service to North Korea. Um, only Air China and uh, Air Koryo have been doing flights um, for the last decade or so. The Aeroflot in the early 2000s, I believe, also flew to Pyongyang sometimes. Mm. But so this would have been an, another sign that, and maybe there would have been routes eventually opening to Wonsan Kalma. Although I think the UN sanctions people would have a hard time with that airport because it is a dual use military civilian airport and there's a lot of sanctions on North Korea's military. Yeah. Just uh, on, you were asking about infrastructure and tourism yeah. originally, right? And especially not only if they're going to Pyongyang or, or these other big tourist zones that they've built up or not, yeah, like Wonsan Kalma or Kumgang, but border tourism is a big thing. Uh, the, the day trip sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of buildup on the Chinese side on that recently. And just a small example, there's just to the east of Dandong, yeah. there's this small town and it's called like the Taiping Bay uh, Port. That's what it's the port is called. And the Chinese have built, even in the last just three years, uh, a new uh, little port on the river and they've loaded it up with tourist boats and they've got Chinese tourists going around the, the Yala River looking at the North Korean side. And uh, they built a new museum right next to the railroad track there. And the North, the North Is Koreans... Is a North Korea-themed museum? Well, it's about the war. Oh, okay. Yeah. and then, But the North Koreans also want to build a tourist zone on their side, but it hasn't started yet. And even in a small port like uh, Mampo Jian, there's uh, the local government reported in June this year their own tourist numbers. Kind of like Chad said, there's no net numbers that China's releasing, but you can find these, these uh, small reports. And they said 7,200 tourists... Uh, across the this small border crossing in 2019 and that was out of 18,000 total since 2014 so that's a huge jump even now, for just last year with regard to the tourist boats i mean i've been hearing about them for 20 years that it's uh you know fun to uh to tool along the river and, and look into north korea what's the um the largest like do they have any really large tour boats uh, almost like a paddle steamer that you could put a couple of hundred people on or they're all small size i've never really been on one of these things uh me and james pearson went on one in 2013 mm. it was quite small though because i mean if they're really hoping to ramp up that kind of border tourism i think that they'd, they'd really want to bring in some super big boats i suppose wouldn't they well i like think it's all just local government initiatives there they've got some business people they see an opportunity and this little port near Dandong, it's got like 10 little boats. I guess they can each carry maybe 15, 20, 30. I don't know how many people, but I don't know if there's any huge push by someone to create a large mm. boat with a lot of tourists. It's well, just one thing that could work, which we saw, the reason I took that small boat in 2013, I went on a failed trip to take a cruise from Rasson to Kumgang San uh -huh. 
on a Singaporean boat-managed boat called the Royal Star. All the way down the coast? Yeah, oh. they were offering these itineraries from, you know, their office was in Yanji, and um, I flew all the way from London to Yanji, and then my trip was cancelled when I got there because something like 10 people were gonna wanted to go. 10 people on a cruise ship is not very good but maybe something like that could work now yeah um I, god knows why they whoever started that in 2013 what they were thinking because it was not it was not much demand if anyone's listening to this podcast and if you happen to know about a, uh, a boat cruise that you can do all along the uh the, the, the two rivers the tumen and the yalu river uh in north korea from one end to the other uh, do write to podcast at nknews.org because i am curious not in a rush to go right now, obviously. Got to wait till COVID finishes up first. All right, let's move on to uh, trade fairs and expos and trade more, more generally. Uh, how do they work? Who operates them? Uh, does the Chinese government actually encourage or facilitate Chinese firms to go to trade f uh, fairs in North Korea? Yeah, they do. They'll have some, chi some Chinese companies that will advertise booth space. They're in partnership with the, the, the North Korean side to, to bring in people to, to display at these trade fairs, right? So... I mean, I don't know the extent of how much the Chinese government is, is encouraging this, but it's, you know, like Liaoning government, which is a local government along the border on the Chinese side, uh, releasing a, a document that was posted somewhere on Weibo that I just found in my files. But it's, you know, they're they're advertising the same information that the North Korea, or that the Chinese trade fair expo company is advertising. So the government's doing its part to to encourage local businesses to to grow in in the North Korean market. That's good for them. Who makes money from a trade fair? How does that even work? They pay to go there. They pay the North Koreans to go there and display their products. And then they show off their products. Sometimes they sell small stuff to the locals, but then they meet uh, the local business people that they want to partner with, maybe the factory owners or not owners, but, you know, factory managers uh, on the North Korean side. And then they have little meetings on the sidelines. And, uh, you know, you can you can see that if you go to the trade fairs, they have little meeting spaces. Can we assume then that these trade fairs do actually turn into some sales for Chinese firms that they are, you know, making oh, some yeah. money? I mean, you get repeat customers, yeah. repeat appearances at the trade fairs. Um, some of them are there every year or two. Uh, what's interesting is there are some Chinese companies that are uh, presenting items that physically can't be sold in the trade fair itself uh so then what you mean they're too big too big for for example there was a there's a chinese company that's involved with producing um cranes you know massive trucks diggers that like construction stuff mm. um and they were advertising i think like 16 or 17 axle cranes which obviously have a lot of implications for transporter erector launchers for missiles oh yeah back in 2017 and um a photo from one of our stories on that got included in the un panel of experts huh. report that year and the Chinese company involved said, oh, you know, we were just showing our stuff off. But the question is, why? Right, why would you show stuff, stuff off that you can't sell? Exactly. And uh, we happen to have photos of that company's diggers and cranes in North Korea anyway. So clearly, oh, in sales, real life. Yeah, clearly oh. sales have taken place. But yeah, I think the, tra the trade fairs serve two purposes. One is like just a B2C companies selling products to customers. The other is B2B business to business. And that's where maybe these more strategic deals are done. But the, the big question is where, where are deliveries? And maybe mm. do we see these things in trade data? I don't know. Not in the kind of way that you would like to see granular data, like, oh, X number of cranes came over for the specific trade fair. 
But building off on that, I didn't really think that the value for Chinese companies going to trade fairs is that opportunity to create um, either outright joint ventures or having agreements with North Korean factories or um, you know state-sponsored companies. I think we really need to keep in mind to um, a Western audience that the amount of government involvement when it comes to businesses, especially strategic businesses, is huge in North Korea. Like, you can't have a private business. Every company that purports to be operating on its own usually has the blessing of some higher up, and they're just the manager. It's owned by the state. So does that mean that the trade fairs, the, the Chinese firms who come to the trade fair, effectively they're selling to North Korean government officials who are attending the trade fairs? They're talking to, like Colin said, the managers. Okay. Um, so since some economic reforms and also um, general acceptance of capitalism within North Korea as a lesser or a necessary evil, North Korean factory owners and, and businesses uh, have managers that are allowed to make some independent decision making when uh -huh. it comes to the production of um, goods and resources. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, you also get some of these, um, there, there are like some North Korean buyers that would probably be akin to a private business. So, so for a really good example is uh, I've seen Chinese and North Korean companies selling um, B2B items that would be designed for very small businesses like restaurants. Uh, for example, like LED displays to stick on your small restaurant or uh -huh. signs for the toilet, like in bright neon lights, things like that. Okay. And those those kind of um, entrepreneurs in North Korea may, would be more, uh, you know, some of them would be working within state-owned companies that have diversified their activity into other areas, but some are possibly these donju who are, um, working on their own businesses. Now we're uh, we're familiar. I think well, many of us are familiar with the uh, the annual Pyongyang and and uh, Rajin Sonbong trade fairs that have been going on for quite a long time. But there's some new trade fairs that have appeared since uh, Chinese North Korea relations improved in 2018. What are the new fairs that we're seeing? Yeah, so I think this is another. Colin will probably be able to elaborate on this, but because um, he did all the reporting on this, but. Um, we've seen uh, July 2019 health and medical appliance trade fair with uh, a fair number of Chinese companies, uh, a high-tech Chinese product uh, industrial consumer goods fair of September 2019, two new trade fairs in October 2019 on green building materials, huh. furniture, sci-tech, uh, a Chongjin trade fair in October 2019. Uh, with, uh, quote, more than 210 units of the DPRK in China. Chinese AI, facial recognition technology, being displayed at the National Exhibition of IT Successes popular. in November 2019. And even a Pyongyang International Agriculture and Foodstuff Exhibition wow. uh, kicked off also in November 2019. So all, this is a huge number of new or um, redeveloped trade fairs with uh, large Chinese participation in 2019. And um, yeah, I mean, years ago, it used to just be the Pyongyang Spring Trade Fair. There wasn't even a full one. Ah. Then they created the full one. And then we've had the Rasson one for I don't know, maybe 15 years or so. Yeah. Um, so all of these trade fairs indicate to me superficially um, a growing interest. Uh, yeah, I just want to add on top of that, and this is not the case with every trade fair nor every vendor, but I have had sources who've gone to trade fairs like every year mm -hmm. tell me that sometimes the trade fair is just an excuse for a vendor to come, dump their stuff, leave it, 
and then go back home. Leave unwanted goods. Yeah, like their intent to go to the trade fair really is to effectively, if you define aid as I give you stuff for free, leave the samples, leave the limited amount of um, goods that they've brought into the country, they just leave it there. So the fair is just a cover? I wouldn't say that it's just a cover. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is important to like have FaceTime with potential entrepreneurs or um, state officials, but the effective end of the trade fair is that the items are left. That also may be because cargo freight by air especially is very expensive in North Korea. You don't want to pay for your samples to leave on an air courier flight and, you know, it will be expensive. So So you bring in the samples, you leave them there. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just by the fact that they've increased the number of trade fairs, there's going to be more Chinese companies because any trade fair in North Korea, even if it's not named uh, explicitly with some Chinese angle, it's going to have mostly North Korean and Chinese companies, right? One that I thought was really interesting last year, and of course... There haven't been any trade fairs this year mm. uh, due to COVID nineteen because they never have them in the winter, and so and the lockdown started at the end of January. So by then, it, that was the end for any trade fair this year, right? Yeah, it's hard to see. It's hard to, to see trends because there were a, a lot more trade fairs in twenty nineteen than in twenty eighteen. Yeah, none this year. So one that I thought was just interesting last year was the International High Tech Product Trade Fair. And on its face, that's the name. When, yeah, when you see the vague. pictures, when you actually go there, or, you know, I didn't go there, but when you actually see the pictures of the place, uh, a very big on a light-up board at the front of the trade fair was the name of the organizer, which is the Shenzhen Enterprise Confederation. So this was organized by a business confederation from Shenzhen. And that's all China. the way down to the border with Hong Kong, right? Yeah. So quite far from North Korea. Yeah, not right. A, yeah. Not a border mm. place. So that was pretty interesting, I think. And they brought in a lot of really... Uh, a lot of sanctioned products like drones uh, for agricultural use. They brought in uh, VR arcade systems. You see some of this stuff actually being used in North Korea afterwards. So maybe they were left. I, I think I saw one of the VR game systems that mm. you would see at an arcade there. So you know, it's not like we. It's not like we're saying these things shouldn't be enjoyed by locals. <laughs> I think technically a lot of this stuff is sanctioned. Well, technically a lot of this stuff is sanctioned under luxury goods use, and then also dual military use right you can use drones for reconnaissance and you can yeah, use yeah. vr for training um like combat training uh, mm. i'm not saying that realistically these items are going to be used that way um, mm. but that's the justification what about uh, north korean companies attending trade fairs in china that's something i didn't expect to know even existed what what's who's going and what are they actually displaying there at these trade fairs well i don't i don't have any lists of companies because um we've not been able to really get a hold of those lists it's a bit easier to get the north korean ones what we can say is that we've seen uh certain high profile individuals from north korea going to china uh for um reasons relating to foreign trade so for example there was a delegation of the north korean ministry of external trade relations visiting china in august 2019 for the 12th china northeast asia exposition Ri Yongnam, who I mentioned earlier, ostensibly went for Nigerian National Day events, but I don't really understand why. Well, Nigerian National Day events in, in China? In China, yeah. That was, according to state media, why he went. But, I mean, he's highly, highly linked to the uh, foreign trade, external relations, economic relations. Yeah, there was this Day of Korea cultural event in September 2019 in China, and that was um, attended by officials of the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade. So, so a, a Day of Korea cultural event actually became a, a trade fair. Yeah, huh. 
Yeah. Well, not a trade fair, but but there there seems to have been uh, some economic dint to it. And the interesting thing is you can pick a lot of this stuff up just by a very close reading of Chinese and North Korean state media. Mm. And they're obviously leaving out a lot of detail as well. So uh, my sense is there's probably quite a lot that's been going on that we're not aware of. Yeah. But while we're on trade, uh, Minchao, what actually is the main export product that North Korea sells? Well, that depends if you're asking about exports before 2017 or after 2017, when tough right. SUN sanctions were imposed. Before 2017, what was the main export product that North Korea sold? Coal. And after 2017? Probably most consistently electricity. Uh, but I need to check the trade data on what it really exports. So we've seen after 2017 sanctions were imposed, which effectively banned the export from North Korea of um, its biggest sellers, mainly being coal, iron, um, other raw materials, not raw finished materials. goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and seafood. We see a big rise in partially finished products uh, that don't violate sanctions in official Chinese trade data. And again, I really want to say that this is official Chinese trade data that is published by the Chinese General Administration of Customs. They're too smart to fess up if anything that was sanctioned was coming through the border. So this is on net what is legal and what they allow us to see. Right. We see um, exports of watch pieces, uh, fake hair products, uh, hmm. fake eyelashes, beards, artificial flowers, uh, again, electricity because of these uh, jointly developed power plants, uh, hydropower plants that straddle the uh, the river. Uh, what percentage of North Korea's official trade is with China? I would say 90 to 95%. And wow. in the COVID-19 era, probably higher. Now, according to your forthcoming report, Mincha, what is the greatest known unknown with regards to North Korean trade with China? Definitely it's coal smuggling activity. Um, we know that tons of coal... Uh, valued in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, are smuggled mostly by sea uh, from North Korea to China every year. That hasn't stopped uh, through the COVID-19 period, even um, though there have been multiple maritime quarantines mm -hmm. imposed. Um, that's that's probably the biggest known unknown, and there's a lot of documentation, satellite imagery. Does this involve subterfuge, like changing of ships' names or flags or ship-to-ship or, or -ship transfers, or is it very open? Um, that used to happen a lot more in the past, mm -hmm. based on reports from, for example, the UN's panel of experts, it seems that North Korean and Chinese ships, because Chinese ships also participate in this smuggling, not just North Korean flagged ones, they become a bit more brazen, uh, mm. going directly to North Korean ports like Nampo and to um, a really big coal hotspot called uh, the Joshan Islands, which are just off of Shanghai. Part of that brazenness, I think, definitely is because of the COVID-19 pandemic. It just doesn't make economic sense, nor does it make um, health and safety sense to go to be at sea for long periods of time and um, do ship-to-ship -ship transfers. It's just easier to go and drop it off in a very straightforward manner. Now, what's the difference between micro and macro smuggling? You talk about both in your report. Right. Um, so these are definitions that I've come up with. What I would say is micro smuggling is this kind of like indiv individual or firm level smuggling that... Um, we associate with things that directly involve the North Korean people. So trade that comes over the border, whether it's uh, smuggled, bribed, or completely legal, this has contributed to the rise of this kind of second capitalist economy. 
um, that sprung up after the public distribution service failed during the Great Famines, mm. and and also has led to the rise of the, as Chad mentioned earlier, the Donju, which is like this new nouveau riche capitalist class, uh, which translates to lords of money. Um, and then the macro level smuggling is the kind of smuggling that's done on a state level. It's of goods that can only be produced by the state and, um, you know, the kind of heavy lift that you need to get to produce coal, to take the coal from its point of production to the port, put it on a ship, like facilitate those relationships to get it to China and offloaded and paid for and laundered. The, the money needs to be laundered before it gets to North Korea. So that kind of like state level high-level strategic smuggling, I, I would call macro-smuggling. Macro-smuggling, okay. Now, Colin, your analysis of satellite photographs suggests that before COVID, at least, and even a little bit afterwards, cross-border trade between China and North Korea was going to increase. Now, you've already mentioned the uh, the bridge to nowhere being connected up. What other evidence have you seen of, uh, of an uptick in trade being expected? Almost every single one of the uh, 14 border crossings that I was taking a look at have seen development of some sort in the last year. So that's in 2020, even with COVID, right? Oh, wow. And when you say they've seen development, are we talking what new customs buildings, new warehouse facilities, that sort of thing? So it can be any of those. So some of the border crossings, uh, I would count the activity as being uh, development of economic parks uh, right adjacent to the border, which are, ah. which are directly... Uh, built with the intention of taking advantage of the border bridge. Uh, and that can be on both sides of the border. In other cases, like out near Mount Pictou, uh, and Michelle found this report uh, back a few months ago, the Chinese built a new customs building quite up the road, so not right on the border, but mm. in the in the nearest town north of this uh, very remote border right next to the mountain. Yeah, a lot of activity, on, uh, especially indicating that the Chinese... Local governments are all looking to uh, carve out a piece to take advantage as soon as sanctions mm. uh, are lifted. That's that seems to be the most uh, forward-looking kind of motivation from all of them. But you know they'll they'll find ways to take advantage of it even before sanctions are lifted. I, I've got I want to come back to the parks later on because I've got a separate question here. Uh, let's talk briefly about aid, even though it's a big topic. Uh, Min Xiao, you talk about strategic exports from China of food, fertilizer, and fuel, the three Fs, I call them. What makes these exports strategic? Well, these are, these are um, aid shipments that the Chinese government has deemed necessary and necessary to supporting North Korea's um, continued existence, basically. And, and w why doesn't China want information about these three Fs on its customs data? You know, I think that's a better question for the Chinese government. We can only speculate. Mm. However, um, I would assume that openly reporting this kind of data and having analysts track trends and themes would show just how much aid China provides to North Korea and how much aid North Korea needs at a given time. So, for example, I would guess that during this period, uh, the COVID-19 period, North Korea probably accepted quite a bit of aid. In this over the summer before the August shutdown. Chad, you've got some information about the kind of aid that she pledged to Kim to help tackle COVID-19. Yeah, so um, basically when the virus broke out, it was interesting to bear in mind, firstly, that Kim Jong-un actually offered an aid fund, quote, 
to Xi Jinping huh. um, when news of what was going on in Wuhan broke. We don't know any details of what. Wait, so North Korea was going to give an aid fund to China? It did. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was uh, an aid fund to the Central Committee of the CPC by Kim Jong-un to help China battle COVID during the early stages of viral transmission. And Xi Jinping actually um, referenced that aid in a letter um, that he wrote, uh, I believe it was in September, to Xi Jinping um, to, to sort of say thank you for that. That was in September. Um, but yeah, so we've seen the Chinese embassy in Pyongyang providing free COVID-related aid to North Korean uh, North Koreans still in China in March. I don't know how they did that. Mm. The Chinese Foreign Ministry uh, spokesperson Geng Shuang said in April that Beijing had sent uh, an unspecified number of coronavirus test kits to the DPRK. And Xi Jinping publicly offered to help Pyongyang in fighting COVID in May. Uh, stating that China was willing to enhance anti-epidemic cooperation and provide, and I'm quoting here, as much support as its capacity allows for the DPRK in line with the latter's needs. Wow. Now, given that we have seen pretty, I would say, accurate, reliable reports in Asahi Shimbun about rice aid from China and grain and fertilizer aid in the hundreds of thousands of tons, mm in 2019 and 2020 i would say that based on that we can conclude that the chinese aid on covid has been significant in scale as well um it's just like min chow says there's no numbers now we come to sanctions and overlooking of sanctions first of all after the summit uh, between xi and kim in june 2019 china together with russia tabled a motion at the united nations security council asking for a lifting of sanctions so that north korea could once more export seafood statues and textiles do we have any idea why these three industries were chosen no idea though specifically the statues one i, I find particularly odd the other the, the other two maybe can be construed as being more related to daily life that could have value for lower and middle level traders from North Korea. But statues is something that only the state would really benefit from. So it's kind of unusual that they included that. Now, was this just a pro forma move by China or did they really expect to see other P5 members sign on to sanctions relief after the failure of the Hanoi summit? Well, they, it, it's important to know there was a draft circulated, but there's never been a vote on this. Ah, okay. uh, it was the US made clear within about 24 hours that this was not going anywhere. Right. Um, but maybe, that, that's to be expected, right? Yeah. And maybe so, that's partially the intent was China wanted to sh the US to be seen as the obstacle to this that's possible but in any case it doesn't really matter because uh we've seen um significant patterns of china basically turning a blind eye on un sanctions in an increasing range of areas the evidence is I've, I've detailed a lot of this in my piece but you can see it at the panel of experts level when you look at the reports in the footnotes the chinese obstructions to the panel's research is pretty jaw-dropping at some points in the last couple of years uh, dismissing things like satellite imagery um, of vessels bringing coal into Chinese ports and just saying this is unreliable evidence. Then you've seen um, this State Department, admittedly, this is not a, a non-biased source, but mm. just a couple of weeks ago, the State Department's Alex Wong detailed 
um, a, he basically dumped a ton of um, figures on Chinese sanctions uh, evasion 555 times in the last year, 2020 alone, that Gee. sanctions breaching North Korean cargo sailings to China took place. He dropped the figure that there are still 20,000 uh, North Korean workers in China. Well, they should all be home by now. We've seen, we've been sent photos from North Korean restaurants in Beijing in Shanghai operating in June and November this year in broad daylight dancers singing um, on the stages so clearly uh, China is overlooking stuff and um, I guess it just believes that these sanctions aren't going to have any value in contributing to denuclearization and it's um, you know it, it can frankly it can get away with this because it's a p5 country right. and that means it it really has a lot of leverage on this. A little bit of self-promotion. Um, I was working on an article about North Korean workers that are still remaining in other countries a year after uh, they were all supposed to be sent home. And, and in defense of the Chinese government, North Korea has made it so difficult for its workers to return home during the COVID-19 period that they're essentially stuck uh. in the host countries, including Russia, China, but even as far away as Nigeria. Oh, I'm sorry, Uganda. And the people still have to make money. They still have to work. They have to live. And um, whether their visa is, their work visa has been revoked and they're working illegally or their work visa is still valid um, in contravention of UN sanctions, they can't get back home. So it's just, it's really being stuck between a rock and a hard place for mm. the North Korean workers abroad. And also in this case, um, I actually don't think that the Chinese government really can do anything until the North Korean government opens its borders to accept its workers again. Yeah, I think it's a good point and an important point that uh, some people may think that these people can just be sent home, but it's just not possible right now. Okay, so uh, could you tell us about economic parks on the Chinese side adjacent to the border bridges and activity at a North Korean special economic zone island? Yeah, so uh, one of the, the things, it's not just building bridges and... Uh, and the like, they're actually, you can see uh, economic parks being uh, growing on the Chinese side. So there, there's at least four examples that I found even just since June, where new warehouses or new buildings are being built uh, on the Chinese side. And back to, uh, and this is at uh, little border uh, crossings along, you know, the, the interior, like at the North Korean uh, town of Jungang and Linjiang on the Chinese side. Some new activity there since June. Mampo Jian in there uh, at Hesan and Changbai, and uh, also at Nanping Musan Crossing uh, out by the the big famous Musan Mine on the North Korean side. But uh, so these are all economic parks that have names and documentation in uh, Chinese media from local governments that say these are for taking advantage of uh, Chinese of North Korean labor mm. and. Uh, uh, I was just looking at one that they broke ground on in March, you know, after COVID as well. Right. And the the local government said that they had already gotten promises from a few textile companies, uh, Chinese big textile companies. So maybe that's some of the motivation. Um, but that would be actually using Ch uh, North Korean labor, not importing North Korean textiles. So I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if there's a connection there, but to the to the sanctions exemptions that the Chinese are pushing at the UN. Okay, and the island special economic zone is that Huangpyeong? No, I mean, okay. So over the years, we've seen obviously a, a lot of economic zones that the North Koreans have promoted in their media that have never materialized. Mm. 
uh, like the one you mentioned. The Shiniju Special Economic Zone as well. Sure, but this one is all the way out on the eastern end of the border. Mm. Uh, it's right adjacent to the Chinese city of Hunchun. And it's this the the it's this little island. It's called uh, Ryudasam or Ryuda Ryuda Island, mm-hmm. however you want to pronounce it. And uh, this is actually designated a special a special economic zone already, but it's mostly just an open field. But some new warehouses have been built there in the last year, which uh, appear to be to be used as part of this economic zone. When they designate an economic zone, do they designate what types of industries are supposed to be there? Yeah, sure. They they write a lot about all the different types of things they want to build there. This this zone actually mm. has a Chinese company or someone created these 3D blueprints that they, the way they want this zone to look. And it's got shopping centers. It's got all sorts of warehouses for IT, uh, textile, seafood, you name it. Wow. Um, this was all made years ago, but it looks like it's actually starting to be built. I haven't been able to find exactly who is building this these warehouses but it's on north korean land in a designated special economic zone uh so it's it's a good bet that it's with chinese involvement could be in breach of sanctions well there's and there's also a bunch of companies that have been registered in hunchun in the last few years with names of north korean names or names referring to that island right special economic zone so uh, we know that there's activity there so that's just you know one example and there's there might be uh, a new economic zone uh, being built back on the other side in Shinaiju, right next to the so-called bridge to nowhere, because mm. uh, there's a big piece of land that's being uh, prepared for building something. And there were plans a few years ago for a, a wholly Chinese-owned special economic park on North Korean land. Oh, like a Kaesong. And so we have the, all the details of that on NK Pro, but it's it could be that. Okay, well, I wish we could drill more into that, but we are running very close to out of time. So the last thing I want to ask about is... Uh, Political coverage. Uh, the DPRK and China have been giving each other political support in the international arena. China, uh, sorry, North Korea was writing favorably about Chinese activities uh, cracking down in Hong Kong, etc. Chad, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so one of the things that Xi Jinping and Kim Jong un agreed to is to increase uh, strategic cooperation and strategic communication. And one of the ways we've seen this really clearly articulate is in um, support from Beijing and Pyongyang for key foreign policy priorities of the other. Um, so you, you, you raised the example of Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, China um, was experiencing problems with the, the protesters uh, starting summer 2019. And um, we saw the North Koreans create this really interesting like multi-prong propaganda campaign to show DPRK to su- support. So it started with... Uh, Foreign Ministry of North Korea doing press Q&A in Pyongyang with KCNA. Uh, And then um, by June 2020, we saw North Korean Foreign Minister Ri Sung-gwan taking the pretty unusual step of inviting the Chinese ambassador in Pyongyang to have some um, uh, meetings, consultations where the DPRK really expressed its political support. Mm. Uh, and then the North Korean foreign ministry even complemented this by making its ambassador to Beijing available for a rare interview with the Global Times. Um, I think pictured, uh, you have a photo of him standing in Tiananmen Square issuing support to China on this. And uh, it really seems to have worked. Xinhua, Global Times, following all of this, you know, issued public thanks through its own media coverage. And we saw... China lend a hand to North Korea on on we've already discussed it, but on the issue of 
sanctions di- uh, dilution, mm. uh, a similar multi-level campaign. But the thing I really wanted to to note that I think is really important yeah. that we haven't discussed is that there is a military thread to all of this. Through the excuse of the 70th anniversary of diplomatic relations, there were a number of uh, military meetings and delegations which seem to have really gone below the radar for most people. And these involved some very senior officials, but I counted at least four or five uh, going from China, from North Korea to China and vice versa. And what was really interesting to me in looking at these was in August 2019, you had a situation where the DPRK army general Kim Soo Gil went to Beijing. Um, and then you had the foreign secretary of the KPA go to Beijing just a month later on the occasion of the 70th anniversary of this diplomatic relation, which, by the way, was on October 6th of 2019. Now you have those two high level meetings in Beijing and then you have North Korea on October 2nd test firing its Pukuksong 3 SLBM and four days later you have the anniversary of 70th diplomatic the 70th anniversary of diplomatic relations and the key point is that there's military consultations going on before the test fire the test fire takes place just four days before the anniversary the anniversary then goes ahead Mm. and then uh, less than two weeks later china sends another high level military delegation to pyongyang so clearly china is really turning a blind eye to this this missile test and that could have consequences in 2021 if we have similar north korean missile tests on the cards now absolute last question here but i'd like a a quick comment from all of you Uh, china is likely to remain the uh, north korean foreign policy priority for the near future Uh, given what we've talked about today. But can the reverse be said to be true Uh, in a year when you've got a a new U.S. president about to be inaugurated and a lot of other things going on in 2021? Will North Korea be able to compete to hold China's attention? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think uh, 2021 for North Korea um, is going to be about survival. That's the main priority. I, I don't really see it having the bandwidth to to engage in the kind of activities we saw in 2018 2019 and especially 2017 with all the missiles Mm. i think it's just got to get through covid fundamentally that's the first order priority and um if it can maintain relations with china in the way it's been doing for the last year 2020 which has mainly been through rhetorical support that that's probably a good place for them to be i would echo something that uh, i read from the uh, the prominent North Korean defector Taeong Ho said recently, uh, I mean, I would say look for ways that North Korean can turn up the heat on the U.S. without doing the same towards China. So I don't know if they're trying to compete for their attention, but they're just, yeah, they're just trying to maintain that relationship where they can soon uh, trade more, even in potentially sanctioned goods, uh, or at least get China to continue to, to up the pressure on the U.S. in terms of turning down sanctions at the U.N., but so one way that they could do that possibly maybe more, I mean, obviously they can test uh, nuclear capable missiles like the SLBM without angering China. So they might do that. Or as Taeyong Ho said, and as I've been looking at a lot is satellite, a satellite launch. Mm. I could do that. Um, something to get the population excited. And uh, that could draw a reaction from the US. It would be a test. And I personally don't think China would react the same way they did in 2016. Mm. I don't think they would condemn it immediately like they did back then. From the Chinese side, I think the relevant organs are extremely uh, capable and probably preparing for any eventuality 
with North Korea through the last five years, even shown increasingly um, aggressive and widening um, sphere of influence and capability through the South China Sea, East China Sea, Xinjiang, uh, Nepal and Tibet. Like it's, they have a lot of things on their mind, but seem willing and ready to take these issues on as they perceive uh, them to be um, important to the state. Uh, and I think North Korea is just like one more thing and inside that portfolio. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a good thought there. Okay, let's uh, keep watching in 2021 then, I suppose. Thank you once again, Min Chow Choi, Chatter, Carol, and Collins Wirko for joining me here in the studio today. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's podcast. If you liked what you heard, please visit us at nknews.org, your trusted source for updates on everything North Korea. Our thanks, as always, to James Fretwell and Chatter Carroll for facilitating this podcast and to Arias Dare, our post-recording producer genius who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you. Listen again next time. <laughs> <laughs>